Hello and welcome to the Coaching Podcast, coaching for success in sport and business. Your host is Emma Doyle, the energy and high performance under pressure coach who is a world leader in unleashing human potential. Buckle up for this high octane session. Let them have it, coach. G'day, everybody, and welcome to the Coaching Podcast. My name is Emma Doyle, and I have the pleasure today, I'm so excited, to interview Tim Buick. Now, Tim, he's an author, speaker, podcaster, professional coach, MC, and announcer. He does have a velvet voice, let me tell you that much. He's a director of Paddle at a club in uh, North Carolina, and he is the author of Blaze to a Blaze, How to Turn Your Blahs into ahas to ignite your passion and purpose. Two topics very dear to my heart. Both of those made my book as well, Tim, Passion and Purpose. Uh, He's worked in the sporting industry for many years. Uh, We met through Wilson Sporting Goods and been on court at promotional events with the Fed, Serena Williams, the legend Billie Jean King, and so many other things. He's a total entrepreneur, and I can't wait to interview him. Tim, welcome to the show. It is an honor to be here, and I don't know how velvety my voice will be, given I was on the court coaching so much, especially on Saturday, where I had lessons during the day, and then we had over 50 people at a pickleball event, and you know, you're talking over the courts and going talking nonstop for three hours. I I think I blew out my voice, and that was after I announced a, a high school baseball game opening night on Friday night. So uh, the velvet <laughs> voice is kind of worn out as we talk here this afternoon, my time, Eastern time, USA. The first question is the Vegemite question. You either love it or you strongly dislike it. What's your take on the Australian spread, Tim? I am more along the lines of strongly dislike it. Uh, I've only had it once or twice. My daughter, Victoria, was in your great country a couple of years ago and brought it back. And I believe I had it there when I was at the Australian Open for a couple of times uh, in years past. And I can see how it's very much an acquired taste. But um, much like my first sip of beer that I didn't like, I sure learned to enjoy that. So I think I could as far as Vegemite. But I would still say... um, I still have a ways to go before I can say I like it. Yeah. All right. Well, because you answered that way, our first follow-up question is, can you share with us a coaching moment that did not go well and what might be a lesson? A couple of things come to mind when I think of that question. One was when I was young and green and unprepared and uh, not learning in in the tennis coaching profession. And I, I was on the court and, And I quickly realized, especially some of the early lessons where I was basically thrown out there and go, yeah, you know how to play, go teach. Well, as we know, there's a big difference between playing and teaching. And I felt lost. My students were lost. And it was a feeling that I I just vowed that I would never have again. And I I remember that followed, that experience followed an experience I had when I was a freshman in college. And we had a dorm basketball team. And I said for our dormitory and I said, well, I'll coach, I'll do it. I'll be the coach because I saw the coach and I, I did not take this seriously. I mean, it's intramurals, big deal, you know, is I wanted the whole persona. I wore the three piece suit and the hat and the whole deal and made a lot of fun in the position. And it was a lot of fun until they needed actual coaching. I was clueless. I'm not a basketball player. 
And you know how tall I am. I never will be a basketball player. That is not my gift. It's not my superpower. So I didn't have the knowledge to coach. I didn't have the background of playing. And so I let another player, when it got to crunch time, I go, you tell them what to do. I'm just here looking the image. And so what I took away from that is I say, we can have an image of a coach. We can look the part and we could think that we know how to coach. But the lesson that I really got from those two experiences and many others is that we cannot give what we do not have. And so that has given me a passion for lifelong learning because I can't help you unless I first do the studying and help myself and learn what I need to share with other people. So, you know, there's a, another way of saying that is what goes down in the well comes up in the bucket. So in other words, if there's no water in the well, there's nothing coming up in the bucket. And so I have to, in fact, I have in my lists of daily tasks and goals, it simply says, fill the well. And what am I learning today that I didn't know yesterday that I can then give to others tomorrow? Well, I've already got three quotes that I'm going to pay it forward. <laughs> That's just gold medal. Fill the well. I I adore yes. those quotes. And we cannot give what we do not have. So important the difference between playing and coaching and teaching. Uh, so thank well, you and so I, much. I think of it. Yeah, and I I think another way of doing it is that if we're not green and growing, then we're ripe and rotting, and so. I've been around the block a few times, you know, as I'm, I'm not as young as I used to be decades ago. I said, but that doesn't matter. It, it age is just a number. It's, are we growing? Are we young at heart? Or do we have that thirst for learning? Because again, I see the, the key in, in coaching is, is that continual thirst for knowledge for that way of maybe learning a new tech a new way of of saying something that will click into the hearts and minds of our students and clients. Mm, fantastic. And what about on the flip side, a coaching moment that went really well? What might be a lesson? Well, I, I think of a lot of times uh, the best moment, you know, for me is when that light bulb goes off and a student or a client where they get it, especially one that you've worked with for so long and you're trying to have them get that technique, whether it's on the court or it's in a coaching, a success moment of getting them attitudinally in the right spot where they go, now I know what you're talking about. I get it. And that light bulb moment is is so um, exciting to me. It's, it's one of the passions that I have for uh, coaching. So I, I guess it's seeing that visible progress you know, and I, I guess if there was one um, area that pops into my mind is when I had an opportunity to, and very much in quotations here, the opportunity to coach Roger Federer is uh, we were backstage. I was able to do a, a onstage interview with Roger Federer in Spain. And as an aside, Roger Federer is absolutely as advertised. A, a gentleman through and through. I mean, I could talk a long time of the day I spent with him. Uh, just he's, you know, what you see is what you get with Roger Federer. There is uh, there is no pretense to him. And I was so impressed. But in quote coaching him, we talked backstage and he says, hey, Tim, what do you want to do with this you know, interview and everything? And I just said, Roger, we're going to roll with it. Let's just have a good time as if he needed my help. But it was it was coming in with that mindset of saying, what is the environment 
that I want to create? What do I want to impart in the, the minds of my listeners, in the minds of my students, in the minds of my clients, so that they come away and say, I'm better for this interaction. And so, again, the only way that they can become better is if I become better. Mm. And also what I love is someone as is, is, is the goat, such as Roger, He's basically asking who is my audience? He's like, Hey Tim, what does this audience need? Which is coaching 101. When we put the player at the center of the learning environment, I know that you passionately believe in that process, you know, from the time that we've spent together. So even the great Roger Federer is putting the the audience at, at the center, isn't he? It's, it is so remarkable. If there was ever a person that could be a prima donna, it's Roger Federer. You know, look at me, I'm you know, still the most popular athlete in the world. And, you know, I never once did he ever look at his watch and go, yeah, I put in the hours that I was contracted to do with Wilson or that kind of his attention to every single person and the attention to detail is uh, it, it was inspiring because we look and we say, how often are we, quote, too busy or we blow somebody off or, you know, they, they need our attention. Oh, we got he was never like that. And, and, and yes, it's an appearance, but those stories go on and on and on about him. And it's the reason why he's a beloved figure is because he treats every single person with dignity and respect. And I, I think of another quote that I think of often is you can learn the measure of a person by how they treat someone who can do absolutely nothing for them. But that's pretty profound. That's true, because how often is the temptation to ingratiate ourselves toward the rich and the powerful? And, hey, if I get to know that person, they could lead me to this. But what what about that person that can do nothing for you? How do you treat that person? And um, that's so critically important. And I think Roger Federer embodies that. Thank you for sharing those beautiful insights. What about a sliding doors moment in your life? From the earliest time, and I read in your book about how much you loved uh, Australian football, you know, and and that's what you wanted to do. And you'd be in your backyard and you'd be playing is I was the same way with sports announcing Uh, as little as I could be. I'd set up these little microphones and I'd announce the games. I'd turn the sound down to the football games that, you know, our football, you know, NFL here in the U.S. And and I would announce the games, you know, with my really high pitch voice because it hasn't changed yet. (laughs) You know, and I would, and I go in the backyard, like you said, the crowd would go wild and I, and my imaginary friend, Tom and I would have our battles and I'd announce the whole thing. And I did that for the longest period of time. And a sliding doors moment for me is when I got a call from channel two television in Terre Haute, Indiana, here in the USA. And they said, listen, we want to interview you. Uh, we have a sports anchor position open and you talk about nervous and I went there and you do an audition. So you get on the, the television set and you, you give a sports cast. And I remember the news director and the videographer and the cameraman were there and they said, all right, now, Tim, uh, for 60 seconds, just ad lib on whatever you want to talk about, just whatever comes to mind. So I ad lib for about 60 seconds. I was done with that. And I looked and I saw the cameraman look at the news director and raise his eyebrows and go, hmm. And I thought at that moment, this might happen. And I remember this so clear to this day 
This was before cell phones. Is to get a call in the dorm room and the phone rings and says, this is Mark Allen from TV2. Uh, I'm happy to offer you the job of sports anchor here at uh, Channel 2 Television, NBC affiliate. Uh, and you start this Saturday night. And I, to this day, I don't know if there's ever been a moment where there has been such joy and excitement of a dream come true to the point that when a few weeks after that, the news director came in and said, hey, by the way, all your checks are in your mail slot. You know, make sure you pick them up when you, you leave for the day. Not making this up. I totally forgot I got paid for this job. I go, oh, my gosh, that's right. I'm going to get a check. It wasn't a big check, but I get I get paid to do this. This is awesome. And so that was one of those sliding door moments. I, I've got another one if you want me to share. Yes, please, please. Yeah, go I'll, on. I'll go ahead. I'll share one other one. It is um, when I became a public address announcer. So I'm trained speech communications major in uh, psychology, almost, you know, double majored in psych. I'm, the human mind fascinates me. And and so that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a you know play-by-play announcer, television anchorman, that type of thing, which I was. And, and then I left to go into the tennis industry and eventually worked for Wilson Sporting Goods for nearly 30 years. And during that time when I was with Wilson, I get a call again before cell phones uh, and I get a message on my answering machine, and it's a friend of mine from Raleigh. And he says, hey, Tim, uh, I thought of you. We are hosting an event. It's going to be John McEnroe versus Pete Sampras at the RBC Center here in Raleigh. And they need a public address announcer. And I thought of you because of your answering machine, your outgoing messages. He said, if you're interested, I can put you in touch with the promoter. So think about this, you know, it's just an outgoing message, which I leave wacky messages each week. Hi, this is Timothy J. Buick. You know, I'm touched, honored and humbled. You give me a call, you know, and this time. And I saw a little twist on it. And he he thought of me for this very long story short. I ended up doing that match, did several other matches with McEnroe and Sampras and John Isner and, you know, Todd Martin and a whole host host of others, which then led to going ahead and doing basketball games and baseball games and, you know, all sorts of other sports, you know, football games and and doing that regularly, which also led to the U.S. promotions director position at Wilson, you know, not a direct tie in. But then they have me on a call. And they say, we're going to do a fundraiser for Roger Federer and for his foundation. And, you know, so we're all there. And and they said, well, Tim, how would you do this event? And I, I gave him a thought and one of the gals says, well, it seems clear. One thing we know is that Tim's the guy who's got to host this event, you know, and I wasn't going to be going, you know, and they said, all right, we're going to go. Turns out we didn't do the event, but we did the stage interview. All that are sliding doors of what could arguably be because of an answering machine message, you know, and, and, you know, this is part of my belief in terms of sliding doors is everything matters. Everything that we do puts a stamp on who we are. And and you think about it and just say, all right, this podcast, if I come in and just mail it in and go, okay, I'm a whatever, you know, what are you talking about? I just, and I act disinterested, which is couldn't be further from the truth. I love this stuff, but it's, it all says something about us and so everything matters and that's what this these sliding doors taught me 
everything matters. I think we've just found the through line to our <laughs> episode, even though we're not even halfway. I think that's going to be the tagline. I Yeah, that's uh, so important and such a great message for all of us, no matter what we're doing, no matter who we're speaking to, no matter what that person can give back to us, just to, you know, how how we stand in our own integrity. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, what about our guiding question in one to a maximum of three words? What do you think makes a great coach? The three words that come to mind are all C words. Caring, curiosity, and cognition. And I'll unpack each one. A good coach cares about who they're coaching. Genuinely cares. Yes, they want to get results, but I want to get to know the person. What makes that person tick? What would be the spark? What would make them come away from this interaction better for it that, uh, that I have left footprints on their heart in a positive way? And that comes from genuinely caring about a person, which leads to curiosity, uh, curiosity, not only in how that person ticks, but curiosity about the profession of how can I be better? I can always improve. We talked about this earlier is that is I can always prove. So I need to be not just interested, but fascinated by what I do. So what I, I yeah, we've been coaching for a long period of time. So have we arrived? We can't be any better. Yes, we can. Techniques change, time change, equipment changes. Uh, there's also changes in how we interact with the world when we're coaching clients. And so having that curiosity and, and that leads to cognition, thinking, learning. If I have stopped learning, then I've stopped growing and I can only give just what I had in the past. And I want to give more. I want to be more. I want to do more. I want to have a bigger impact. How do I do that? It's it's being a lifelong learner. Um, and, and, and so I'd say those three words are just absolutely critical in order to be the best coaches we can be. Great choice. And I love, of course, they're the three C's. <laughs> nice and easy to remember. I do remember your answer machine message as well. I remember going, wow, that is so cool. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, you've, you've it's not unusual. To... In fact, I just, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's not unusual that, that sometimes my phone will ring and then the same number will ring again. And, you know, if I miss it the first time, I'll pick it up. Hi, this is Tim. How can I help you? And no, no, we didn't want to talk to you. I've got, we're having a meeting and we've got a crowd of people here. We wanted to listen to your answering machine. So hang up, don't pick it up. And we just, we don't want to talk to you. We just want to listen to your outgoing message. And so, and, and you think Classic. about it, what are, I, I think a, a good question for all of us to consider is what are the little moments as we go through life doing whatever we do, where we can have that imprint that every interaction we have with people is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to leave a mark, hopefully a positive one. And and you say, so what are those opportunities in your world where you can make a difference in a positive way where someone comes away and go, man, I'm sure ran, I'm sure glad I ran into her today because, I mean, she brightened up my day or I learned something or, uh, you know, or, or just encouraged me when I needed it most. Mm. Footprints, leaving that footprint that you mentioned earlier as well with as it relates to caring, 
So, so important. So thank you for posing a question, uh, which of course is our next question for you to ask us a question. So when you get a chance to meet other successful entrepreneurs, et cetera, uh, what's that one question that you love to ask of others? What sparks Tim's curiosity? Well, there are a lot of things. I'm uh, I'm naturally curious and, and it grows. You know, the more knowledge we get, I the more ignorant I realize I am, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like uh, an Island that just keeps getting bigger as you go. All right. The Island gets bigger and bigger, but you've got more and more shoreline in which to navigate. And you go, that's kind of the way it is with knowledge. So one of the questions that I like to ask is how did you know that this is what you wanted to do? So your life work or what you're doing now, how did you know that this is what you wanted to do? And I have a few other questions that I love to ask people as well, but that's that's one of them because it does tell me a lot about how they're wired. And it also gives me a little bit of insight into their journey of how they arrived at the place they did. You know, one thing that I found fascinating in my learning is that even the most introverted of us affects some 10,000 lives in an average lifespan. And this is for an introvert. But the number of times that she interacts with people and through the day that that cross paths with some 10,000 people. And again, those are the introverts. And what I've learned is that everybody has a story. And you could think of the most boring person in your life and you're going, oh, my gosh, if this one I mean, this is like paint dry. You know, this is not somebody that I necessarily want to hang out with. And then you ask some questions and find out about their life. You go. I had no idea. That's amazing. You know, and, and everybody's got a story. And so I, I think that's part of the curiosity aspect of, of coaching and life in general is, you know, how did you know that this is what you wanted to do? Okay, Tim. So what I want to talk about next is I have a lot of coaches who come to me and they're actually not sure about their passion that they may be in coaching but they're like, they're not quite sure if they really enjoy this aspect of coaching or that aspect of coaching. So how do you help somebody find and really help them spark their passion? Oh, I love that question because that's why I wrote the book is it's about my own journey to answering that question. And what I did through a deep dive after I left Wilson is I stepped back and I said, well, now what? What do I do now? And the question came to me is I first need to know who I am. And I take seriously Socrates dictum to know thyself. Well, that's a more difficult question than it seems on the surface. I mean, how many of us really know how we're wired, who we are at our core? And frankly, it can be uncomfortable to even scary to say, okay, so what am I known for? What, what sparks my passion? And so through this process, and it was really a process of self-discovery, I came up with the M5 process of self-discovery and it, and it started with an equation. And the equation is this passion, who we are plus prowess, what I do multiplied by purpose, why I do, 
plus problem, what I solve. When we get that equation correct, we'll have the ablazing life. We're not going to have to worry about motivation or energy or to get sparked or, you know, have to look in the mirror and say, you're a good person. Go get them. We don't, I mean, I'm, I pump myself up every day, but what fuels my passion is knowing why I'm doing what I'm doing and doing the things that I am uniquely wired, that I'm uniquely good at. And so I often hold in my mind when my why gets bigger, the how gets easier, but I have to get to the why first. And so to take in, and I take you through the book of, of taking that deep dive first to get to know yourself and then finding out, okay, in your gifts and abilities and the things that we do well, how do I connect that to a problem in the world? Where, where can I plug in to make a difference? And then we get that intersection correct and we get that equation correct. And, and we will have everlasting passion and motivation because we're doing what we're meant to do. We're wired the way that we're wired to uniquely plug in to do those things. And it, sometimes I'll get to the end of a day and I'll say, why was this such a good day? I mean, today was a really good day. Today's going to qualify as a good day because we're having this conversation with which fuels my passion. And it's so good to see you again. And I, and I look and I say, okay, so why is that? Well, because one, I, I think one of the key elements to this, to interrupt myself, is to have a personal mission and purpose statement. And it takes some work to get it down. If you and I, I go through the book of a process of developing your personal mission and purpose statement. Mine is this, to create footprints on another person's heart by creating stick to your ribs type moments filled with light, laughter, and love. That's my mission statement. So that being my PMP, personal mission and purpose statement, that being it, I can now since I've developed that through a process of self-discovery, I can look at opportunities that come my way. I can look at volunteer options that I could do, or how do I want to spend my time? And I can look in light of that and say, is this fulfilling that PMP or is this distracting me from it? So I had an opportunity that came my way recently of a, a discussion about running a company. And a lot of that excited me. I go, that would be a new challenge. How would that work? And then as I continued to explore that, I realized I don't think that's the right position for me. And because it's a much of what I would have to do in that position I'm not naturally gifted for, but doing these things, that's right in my wheelhouse. You know, a lot of times you hear uh, people say, well, you've got to work on your weaknesses, you know, go, go ahead and work on your weaknesses. You got, you know, geez, you're not, you're not all that great in math. You need to study harder. I go, screw that. Get farming out. You do the math. I don't get, no, is we need to work on our strengths when we, focus on our areas of strengths, life gets great. 
because we're already good at it. That's how we're wired, you know? And, and so that's where so much of my passion comes from of, of helping other people find theirs. Well, that alone is gold medal, that formula. I mean, I've always dabbled around the surface, but for you to so succinctly be able to put, put that into a formula, I mean, everyone right now could easily put those headings and then start to even just dot point. And that, you know, that's the best place to start to help you get to those personal mission statements. Does it matter where somebody starts in that little formula? Like, could they start with, uh, you know, the problems that they solve or, you know, what that, what they're good at, what they do? Does it, does it matter where they start? No, absolutely not. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't matter. I, I think the important thing is that we're really honest with ourselves and and that can be a scary part sometimes. I mean, um, many of us live our lives by drift and not by design. When you think about it, few people really live their life by design. They just, you know, they fell into this job or they kind of drift over here or, you know, it's so easy to just go into the corner bar and, you know, and just hang out there every night. And, um, you know, and, and, and so I think it's that intentionality of just saying, no, I'm going to, I'm going to put in the hard work. I'm going to steal time from comfort. And instead of binging on Netflix over the next couple of weeks, not saying that that's wrong. I'm not judging about any of that. I do a lot of recreation stuff. I'm, I'm not against that. What I'm saying is that we need to do the hard work on ourselves to discover who we are. If we truly want the best out of life, if we truly want to be the best coach we possibly can be, because we know that's how we're wired. That's, then we do the deep dive in ourselves and say, okay, so where uniquely in coaching, where am I at my best? What do I do that I'm best at? I could be good at a lot of things. And so sometimes we just have to say no to the good to say yes to the best. And that's a challenge. That's a challenge, but, but it's one that I know everyone who's listening or watching us is up to that challenge. Yeah, I, I'm sure everyone's doing some deep reflection right now. I know I've struggled and I continue. It's an area for me to develop in not saying yes to everything, you know, because I've got my personal my little mission. Too. Yeah, my mission statement. And so much of my statement is around harnessing energy and empowering people. So I see good in so many things and so many people. As a coach, you you know, one of our jobs is to see potential. Like we're like, whoa, like this, this person, you know, we can see a vision for them, but for whatever reason that they're clouded. So, you know, they're, maybe they are passionate, but they feel clouded in terms of, you know, they can't quite see what we can see in them and without telling them, Hey, you're amazing. You, you're, you know, it doesn't matter how often somebody or even a parent tells a child that, you know, they can see the potential in somebody. It starts small. And I think one, probably my next book is going to be the, the six minute miracle. And it's like several quotes come to mind. One is, you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? You know, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. And sometimes we look at big picture, purpose, passion, vision, and it's so overwhelming. And oftentimes it comes down to just start, 
And so sometimes I'll say to myself, Tim, can you devote six minutes to doing what you know you should do today? Now, I know with absolute integrity that I can give six minutes to something. And if I say no, I'm just flat out lying. You know, and and the the secret is in the starting. And so what I would say from someone who hasn't seen the vision yet, well, and I think also is to help set them up for those small successes. I think, you know, there's a lot of talk about uh, self-esteem training and and we need to teach our, our children self-esteem and this type of thing. And I go, no, I don't think so. I think we need to help them find how they're wired, their unique place in the world. Confidence comes from doing stuff. It comes from doing stuff. It's not necessarily me saying, oh, Emma, you're such a great person. Because if you don't feel that, if you're not getting those successes, it doesn't matter how much I say you have so much to offer the world. I'm not saying that encouragement. I'm a big rah-rah encouraging. When I'm coaching, I'm constantly giving encouragement. But I guess somewhat of a graphic way to say it, but I say, I don't blow sunshine up people's butts. Okay. I'm, I want to make sure because we need to be truthful at the same time and, and, and say where progress is, but also they need to be able to have those small wins. And so that's part of discovering who we are as I've got a process in the book of just saying, okay, list out the wins in life. And I'm not talking about just victories against someone wins and someone loses, but what were the areas where you felt you were successful? Other people noticed and said, you're really good at the clarinet. You know, really? I'm just doing this because my mom told me I had to pick an instrument or something. No, I mean, you're gifted at that. And you you find what are the wins? They're going to start, patterns are going to show up. And I think what happens with our self-confidence is we get into areas for whatever reason, we get attracted to money, status, power. Our parents told us this is what we had to do. And it's not who we are. Even if we're, quote, having success, we it's just not how we're wired. You know, I, I'm never going to make an Excel spreadsheet look pretty. I mean, I'm just not, I, I don't like dealing with formulas and cells and all that kind of stuff. It's just not me. It's, that's not my deal. And it's, so... I think, again, it, to me, that journey continues to step back. And as coaches, that's where we can help most is to find out, okay, so say we're on the court. Why are you in this lesson? Oh, well, I heard a lot about paddle or pickleball or tennis or whatever it might be and say, okay, well, you give it, give it a try. Yeah. So why are you, are you doing this for you? You know, and, and so to find out, it just popped in my mind is my niece and she was just one cut below Olympic swimmer, very, very good swimmer. And I remember asking her said, do you really enjoy getting up at four o'clock in the morning and swimming for three hours and then swimming three hours in the afternoon and everything? And she said, I really do. And that's all I needed to hear. I wanted to make sure that she was doing it for her and for no other reason. This is how she's wired. So that's somewhat of a long-winded answer uh, of saying, I like to find the inner student. You know, we talk about the inner coach. And, you know, when we find the inner student, we can help them become the inner coach. Yeah, again, a great through line coming out around 
following your strengths, uh, acknowledging your successes, because it's not something where, you know, kids of today as well, they're not wired to focus on that. And same in the workplace. You know, I'm seeing time and time again, people will default to easily be able to answer what their weaknesses are rather than you mentioned it early on about, you know, superpowers. So so let's finish on that note, uh, Tim. What are your superpowers and how do you help others to uncover theirs? Well, I look at what I do. So as an example, we both have books. We released them at, at similar times. Well, as you know, there's a dozen different ways that we can promote the book. So what do I do? Do I, am I working on a weekly email or doing blogs or speaking gigs or make, you know, showing up at Barnes and Noble, what that type of thing. And I, I think about it. I do two things particularly well. Uh, I write and I speak and that's what I'm trained in. That's what I'm good at. And, and probably speaking over writing, but both I'm, I'm a words guy. I'm a communicator. I should do those things that allow me to do those two things on a regular basis. And so where my focus is now is saying, okay, I need to ramp up the podcast. I put it on pause. There's been some personal things that have been going on and, and, and trying to, to work out all these different elements in this pickleball thing is just blowing up here in the U S it's just crazy. I've got, I've got a, a YouTube instructional series out and one of the, the videos has almost 190,000 views already. And I'm like, what are these, these pickleball people, what do they do all day? Well, they, they watch videos and play pickleball, I guess. And I love doing that because that's the coaching aspect in me, but it's not all I do. And, and then I look and I say, primarily I'm a communicator. So my superpower is Tim. When you get out and communicate, when you when you speak to groups, when you do podcasts like this, when you uh, impart what you've learned to hopefully give light, laughter, and love to those around you, that's when you're doing what you're doing. And that's where you're hitting on all cylinders. And again, where our joy and uh, purpose and passion come from is doing what we were meant to do. And so those are my two superpowers, which means... I shouldn't spend a lot of time on the golf course. I suck at golf. And I and say, so could I become better? Yes, I could. If I want to take lessons and totally fix everything, but I don't care enough to it. I've only got so much time. You know, I think statistically we have 28,809 days on earth, statistically average lifespan. I don't want to give away my age, but that number's getting smaller and smaller of the number of days I have left. So do I want to spend it on the golf course in a sport I'm not gifted in that I really don't care enough about? I want to become proficient enough so I don't get left out because all the guys went golfing last week and I go, my shoulder's a wreck. I don't want to test it. All this to say, Tim, concentrate on doing what you know you're good at. You've given us so much to reflect on. Uh, with care, curiosity, and cognition. So many great one-liners because at the end of the day, everything matters. Tim, as in timbuick.com, is where you can find out more about how to get your hands on Blaze to a Blaze uh, and all of his other services. Uh, thank you so much for being in my life and impacting me as a, as a coach. And every time we've caught up, no matter what, 
you've you've been there with you know eyes and arms wide open so thank you so much tim for being on the coaching podcast oh, as as usual it's a joy being with you thanks for having me thanks tim thanks everyone for listening the coaching podcast is sponsored by transition coach for athletes a global coaching mentoring and u.s placement service the service helps athletes navigate the often challenging world of choosing your best college fitness performance visit www.transitioncoachforathletes.com that's the number four